There he goes. One of God's own prototypes. A high-powered mutant of some kind never even considered for mass production. Too weird to live, and too rare to die. Welcome to episode 108 of the Digital Freemason Podcast. For the week of June 8th, 2009, I'm your host Scott, and I'll be taking along on my excellent adventures through the world of short Masonic educational papers. As always, this and all other papers are available at the website, www.thedigitalfreemason.com, and I encourage you to swing by and check them out. So I have to apologize for the uh, impromptu hiatus that I've taken here and get an episode out. The May-June time frame is always... Uh, rather squirrely time-wise as it relates to work and, but more importantly, home front wrapping up the winter time activities, but the, the summertime and spring ones have been spun up as well, so there's a, a lot of overlap. So anyway, I will get going with this week's episode. Um, there's been sort of a lot of talk around uh, my lodge about what it is that we can do to keep the new initiates interested and keep them coming back and not just have them get the three degrees and fade off. So this piece, I don't know who it came from, but it talks about uh, some of the great expectations of becoming a Freemason. So we'll get right into it now with Becoming a Freemason and the Great Expectations. It is, unfortunately, not an unusual experience in the life of a Mason to find himself confronted with a question which seems to emerge from his subconscious mind, being it the urge for an immediate action and decisive answer. For example, does Freemasonry really measure up to my expectations? This answer is frequently engendered by an experience of either too long or too short of a ceremony, happenings at the banquets, lectures and instructions which attract the members and are very pleasing while judiciously spaced out among everyday happenings, but when reoccurring with monotonous regularity over a long period of time, they are prone to evoke a condition of mind which could be called boring. Under the pressure of a system which demands for its exemplification something more than conventional qualifications, your average exponent weakens and deteriorates, gradually picking out of the system whatever it is that is easy, pleasant, picturesque for exposition, and then quietly ignores the existence of the remainder. Masonry, like all all other systems' morality, has been gradually masculated in practice of much of its original content. The craft is supposed to remain static, words, signs, ceremonies, legends, as from time immemorial. The truth is, of course, otherwise. What has remained static is that layer of immortal truth embedded in that noble science, which is quite unsuspected, and rarely, if ever, contacted by the average Mason, but is still the way of our life, and may now, as ever, have been, be approached through our symbols, words, and ceremonies. Now, if the exponent had failed after passing through the craft degrees to sense the implicit, the inner drawings of the system, or refuse to believe that it possesses any sanctions other than certain respectable but tepid ethical ideals, coupled with a benevolence, then it is certain that his active participation in the work of craft and in his lodge will gradually but surely cease. It is the opinion of a reliable authority that the ideals of the Masonic Order are making a wide appeal to the best instincts of a large number of men, and that our order is imperceptibly become the greatest social institution in the world. 
This is exactly right, brethren. But the true aim and function of masonry is not to become a great social institution. Its social side is really a secondary activity. Within strictly defined limits, a necessary and legitimate part of its functions, but certainly not in the overwhelming measure in which it has developed. It is not correct to say that the ideals of the Masonic Order are making a wide appeal to the best instincts of a large number of men. The average men know little or anything concerning it. The appeal does not come from that direction, but there is a strong drawing power in the possibility of becoming a unit or a small figure in a great social institution in the world. But alas, many have discovered that these social glories are apt to fade and the limelight of the office for the ordinary mason passes very rapidly. The illumination may be prolonged if one is wealthy, generous, and a person of comparative, comparative leisure, but otherwise the radiance disappears and the seat on the dais and the place at the top of the table is at the end and for the majority not even so little as this. It is the fate of the nameless, undistinguished majority which bears so heavily. This majority have no doubt asked themselves, does Freemasonry measure up to my expectations? Wilmhurst put it very finely when he said, Masonry stands in line with the other doctrinal systems, inculcating the same principles and to which no secrecy is attached, and that it is specialized in a highly effective method of inculcating these principles. Brethren, in, in words which every Mason is familiar, it means that the postulant will henceforth dedicate and devote his life to the divine rather than to his own or any other service, so that by the principles of the order he may be better enabled to display that beauty of godliness which previously, perhaps, had not manifested through him. A satisfying answer to our question would appear to hang upon the answers to another question. What is Freemasonry? Freemasonry is one of the greatest romances which has come down to us th through the mist of the years. It is of no particular age, but belongs to all time. It is of no one religion, but finds great truth in all. It is veiled in science, founded by the three great principles of brotherly love, relief, and truth, and a belief in a supreme being, whoever he may be, the wise master builder by whose grace we all do live. Here masonry lays a cornerstone. One of the simplest faith grows a philosophy of life which masonry teaches by using great and simple symbols to enshrine its great truths. Masonry is a life to be lived, and from it we learn how best we may live our lives so as to be the greatest service to humanity. One of the most fascinating and absorbing facets of Freemasonry is its symbolism. A symbol is something that stands for something else. And although it is not a portrait of what it represents, it must be identified with what it represents. Symbols, of course, are not restricted to Freemasonry, and they are used widely and accepted throughout the world in fields of religion, politics, science, and advertising. The seeking after the truth begins emblematically when the candidate seeks to enter through the door of the lodge. It is indicated that he is at a state of mental darkness as it relates to Freemasonry, and therefore comes of his own free will, asking for entry. The method used has been said to allude to that passage in the scripture, Ask, and ye shall receive. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. 
Underlying all of this is that illusion of those three Masonic virtues already mentioned of brotherly love, relief, and truth. There is a common tie that binds each Mason to the Masonic fraternity and to one another which, without strength, would be useless and break with any significant strain was put upon it. But whilst we make an honest effort to keep our bond, our vows, to which we have sworn, then that link will not be subjected to undue strain or stress, and the tie which binds us to the fraternity will not break. An apron is worn by operative masons to preserve their garments from spot and stain. But to a speculative Freemason, it is a symbol that his aim should be to conduct himself through life, so that he is able to appear before the great architect of the universe unstained by sin, unsullied by vice. It is intended to remind the Freemason that purity of life which should at all times characterize members of the fraternity. The great heritage which is ours gives an opportunity for each of us to pursue our studies into the hidden truths of Freemasonry. It cannot be expected that such truths be fully discovered by the formal passing through of the ceremony of the three degrees. We are, after all, ordinary people of the world, occupied primarily with obligations to family, civic, or business life, and some might say that the actual attainment of the high ideals of Freemasonry is almost beyond our reach. So brethren, let us ask the question, does Freemasonry measure up to my expectations? Only after answering the following question of how do we measure up to the ideals of the Masonic Order can this question be answered. So in closing, let me quote from Hoadley, who says, The path to self-perfection on which the symbols and rituals of Freemasonry can so assist us is, for those who dare to follow it, a path leading to the attainment of a higher, more satisfying and rewarding life. So that's a piece on uh, the great expectations of becoming of those who are Freemasons. And uh, the only thing I can add to that is I like that last part where it talks about not so much is Freemasonry living up to our expectations, but are we living up to the expectations of and ideals of the Masonic Order? And I think that if, if we turn it around and, and look at the mirror and look into our way, it will, we can find out that it's not so much the order that's wrong, but it's us. So until next time, I've been your host, Scott. And I've enjoyed our time together. And if you have any questions about this or comments on any other podcasts, be sure to email me at podcast at the digital freemason.com. And until next time, be sure to keep this shiny set up. <laughs>